This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 12, says that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have a tendency to think that it's always someone else's fault. And that's a trend that has a long, long history. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. I'm sure you'll recognize and remember that Adam pointed to Eve and Eve pointed to the devil. But at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our own choices. Each of those individuals were held accountable for the choice that they made to defy God and disobey him. And no amount of self-pity or complaining that we were duped or that we were tricked is going to remove our accountability to God. And some, rather than point at others or the devil as the alleged reason for their misbehavior, will instead begin to blame God, even in some cases. And I think this is especially tempting because there maybe is a kind of catharsis in doing that. Um, that we kind of salve our, maybe salve our consciences in, in doing so. It's a, as if believing that God is behind all my frustrations and pains then somehow justifies my bad behavior because it's his fault, so we tell ourselves. It's very sad. And sadder still is that some would go so far as to say that their bad behavior, again, it not only just is justified, but it even glorifies God. And Paul knew this and and the Holy Spirit inspired him to address this very issue in the book of Romans. And he repeatedly does so. In chapter 3 and verse 7, for example, he knew some would say, if my falsehood accentuates God's truthfulness to the increase of his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? And in chapter 9, he anticipates, one will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will. All right, so Paul knew that people, that we use these kinds of arguments to justify our bad behavior, right? That maybe it's God's fault, or maybe maybe it even glorifies him because it just shows how good he is, right? And those are the kind of mental gymnastics we play. But the Holy Spirit knows all too well how we use different excuses for our sin. And I know there's a larger discussion of those particular texts that I mentioned, and we dealt with those in earlier episodes of this podcast. Uh, so you can go back on SoundCloud or in your in your podcast feed, whatever you use, and, and you can find those there. Uh, but Paul is dealing with the same subject here. And if anyone rejects Jesus Christ as Lord, they condemn themselves, and that's that individual's fault and no one else's. Right? Romans 10 and verse 3, Paul says, Not knowing about God's righteousness... In seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So, what Paul is saying here is that it was their choice. He's speaking of his Jewish brethren in particular. And he's saying it's their, it was their choice not to subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And God's righteousness here is not his personal righteousness. So, it's not, Paul isn't speaking of God's righteousness in his character. God is righteous, that's true. But here in Romans and in this text and others, God's righteousness is used of uh, his standard. Right? It's, it's, he's talking about the blameless, justified, righteous condition one can find when they submit to Christ Jesus. That is how the Bible speaks of God's righteousness as well. Uh, other places, 
Paul will say, we are his righteousness. In the very next verse, Paul says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so there again, he's using righteousness as a standard that uh, everyone can find through forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And so Paul means that the, the end or the goal of the law of Moses is found only in fellowship with with Jesus. And, you know, what was, again, the goal, the goal of the law? In chapter 9, he answers, The people of Israel who pursue the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Verse 31. So we can see just by looking at the context a little bit more closely that, that Paul is talking about a standard here, a goal, and that goal was and is righteousness. But now Christ is the only one who can provide uh, provide anyone with that goal through forgiveness of sins. That's the only way any of us can be righteous, blameless, or justified before God is through forgiveness. And sadly, now just as then, many choose to reject Jesus and the forgiveness He offers. Many of many folks are are, are not hostile toward God, right? They're, they're not they're not God haters. Uh, in fact, they may be very religious in in a lot of ways, but ultimately, they have no hope since they have not obeyed Jesus. And that's the point that Paul is making here in the. In the context, and in, in, in fact, he says in verses 1 and 2, if you back up in, in chapter 10, look at the kind of people he's talking about. He's saying, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And so Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He's he's very candid about how he views his brethren according to the flesh, the, the Jews, other Israelites. And he's saying that many of them have a zeal for God. They have they have this zeal. Maybe they're service oriented people, but this these are the same group of folks that he's talking about in verse three when he says they they rejected the righteousness of God. You know, in, in verse two of the previous chapter, talking about the same people, he says, "I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart," as he's talking about his fellow Jews. And so he didn't cease to pray for their salvation. He did not cease to try and teach them. That that was his life's work. He went to the Gentiles to be sure. He was an apostle to the Gentiles, but he went to many, many synagogues. Just look at the book of Acts and, and trace his journeys. So he had, he had no delusions. Paul had no delusions about their spiritual state before God. Right? He couldn't be he couldn't be honest with himself, and 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 at the same time he couldn't be honest with himself about Jesus Christ. And the righteousness found in Jesus Christ, and at the same time say, "Yeah, those folks are religious, and they're and they're zealous for God, and they're okay." He couldn't do that. He had no he had no delusions about it. Despite their zeal for God, despite their zeal for God, they had rejected His righteousness, the means for making them righteous, and in so doing, they established their own righteousness. And as sad as that may be. We can and should follow suit, not the bad example that Paul is speaking of, but I mean his example of, of acknowledging uh, the, the zeal of people for God, of religious people. We, you know, we can honestly and objectively appraise, first of all, our own condition and, and that of others based upon the righteous standard of God's Word. That's all Paul is doing here, right? And, and, and at the same time, he's praying for the salvation of others. And he's praying for the continued faithfulness of of believers. God God is not responsible if people choose to remain lost. 
Right? He, he has made his conditions perfectly clear, as Paul shows in, in verse 6 of this chapter. Do not say in your heart, he says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss. You know, if we if we want to find God's salvation, if we want to receive that that gift, God doesn't require ascending to heaven or going into to the abyss because God's already accomplished what's necessary through His Son. Verse four: Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who who believes. So God's done that, but but we must obey in faith to obtain the righteousness based on faith. That's the other wording that Paul uses there in verse 6. The righteousness based on faith. So God hasn't called people to some Herculean task uh, to climb a mountain, but to, to simply trust and submit to His Son in obedience to His Word, just as Jesus Himself taught. John eight thirty one. If you continue in my Word, you are truly my disciples. And that decision is up to each and every one of us to make. And and it's the same, it's it's the same choice that Paul is putting before us here in, in this context in, in verse eight, right after saying it's don't ask who will ascend to heaven or who will go to, to to the abyss. He says in verse eight, the word look, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. He gives the exact same answer. As Jesus does, how can I be saved? How can I know that I'm truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus says, if you continue in my word, Paul says, the word is near you. It's the word of faith we are preaching. And God has put it at our fingertips. There are stores with walls of Bibles in various languages and translations. It's been digitized now. It's been made accessible on computers and smartphones and tablets. It's right there waiting for us. And he has provided all we need to know to have eternal life and be pleasing before him in that book. You likely know 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 well that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, that the man of God may be complete and prepared for every good work, or equipped for every good work. All through the Word of God. So how could we possibly blame Him for not going far enough to reveal Himself, or that we need something else apart from the Bible, like some sign or something? God gave us minds to think with, and hearts to feel with, and a will to decide with, and He calls us to make right decisions from the beginning. You know, it was Moses' words to his people, Choose life for yourself. Choose life. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. Who would choose eternal death over eternal life and blessing? We choose life by loving God and doing what He says and clinging to Him at all costs. And this is precisely what Paul is urging here. Romans 10 and verse 9, the very next verse, he says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But this is no uh, mechanical act. That's not what Paul is saying. It can't be because he repeats in verse 10, with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. And these conditions to salvation, they're not exclusive. They're, they're not exclusionary, I guess we should say, 
to the others that Paul has already mentioned earlier in this letter. We're looking specifically at chapter 10, but this is part of a much larger message. And Paul's already discussed at length baptism in Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 6. He's already discussed repentance in chapter 2 and verse 4. And they are named here to reinforce his main point that we read at the beginning of this podcast, verses 12 and 13, that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who will call on him. For whoever will call on him, call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean? What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Well, it's not merely calling out to Christ, because Paul did that on the road to Damascus. He said, Who are you, Lord? In Acts chapter 9 and verses 4 and 5. And he also said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And yet, his sins were, were not washed away. We can know that by looking at Acts twenty two sixteen. He had to be told to do that still. After the fact, when he was calling out to Jesus. And calling on the name of the Lord is not merely calling him Lord. Again, Paul did that. And Jesus put this question to his audience. He says, why do you call me Lord? He says, why do you call me Lord and do not do the things which I say? Oh no, that gives us, a, I think, a better idea of what it means to really call on the name of the Lord, doesn't it? Jesus says, you may call me Lord, but you don't do the things which I say. The implication is, is that that's what we need to do. It's not simply acknowledging him as as God or saying, I believe that there is a Jesus or that he even is the is the Son of God. It goes deeper than that. And it, and it's it goes even beyond saying a prayer or fasting, because again, that's exactly what Paul did. When he was blinded for three days after Jesus appeared to him. And for all of his fasting and all of his praying, he hadn't called on the name of the Lord. Ananias had to instruct him to do so. In Acts twenty two sixteen, he said, Why are you waiting? Or what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I, I can't help but think of that verse personally when Paul, when I read Paul's writings here in, in Romans 10, when he says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I wonder if he was thinking of that moment in his life when he was inspired to say those words, when Ananias brought the gospel to him and, and taught him what he needed to do in order to be saved. You know, we see that there is an obedient act that is required for the person to, for any person to really call upon the name of the Lord and, and then continue to do so. And it's not mere lip service. It's not even sincere prayer and fasting or other acts of devotion. If we are to receive the righteousness of God, based on faith in Jesus Christ, then we must receive and accept it on His terms. Never once has He called us to do something we're incapable of doing, and never once has He called us to blindly trust Him. He has put forth His Word, He has submitted all the evidence, He has recorded His deeds, He has revealed His mind and His will, and He has never and will never force anyone to obey Him. He says, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. He's put those terms before us. And I think we can, we don't have to look very far before we see them unfold before us in Scripture. In His Word that Paul says is, is near you and in your heart. You know, like Nahum in of Old Testament fame, 
I think there's a lot of folks who think that what God has called us to do may be arbitrary or unnecessary, but that's a fatal mistake. And it's, it's a mistake that fortunately Naaman corrected in Second Kings 5. But if I am lost in the end, I have, I have no one to blame but myself. And the same will be true for you. And so the question remains, have you obeyed the gospel of Christ? Are you standing in the righteousness which only he can afford? Or have you sought to establish your own righteousness? Those are the questions I, I want to leave you with. If you want to objectively consider what the Word of God has to say, look at other texts or study those texts, I'd be delighted to do that with you. You can contact me at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com or look at our website at leonvalleychurch.org. You can find a contact form there. Hope you pray about these things and continue to study them. I'm Jason Garcia. And this has been Faithful Sayings.